0: Today, we wrap up our series called Supermen. We started this series six weeks ago with Wonder Women talking about Moses' mama. She's got a funny name, and, and I'll, I'll see how many of you guys were here and remember. But does anybody remember Moses' mama's name? Say it right now if you know it. Jo- wow, Jacobed! more of you guys remember than I thought. Uh, Jacobed, we started with that. We did three weeks on that. Then we did three weeks on Supermen. That started two weeks ago today, and we got to talk about Ehud, the left-handed potty assassin, and uh, that's a very memorable story, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible because it talks about the bathroom so much and uh, even mentions the word poop. So that's why that's one of my... That youth pastor in me, I used to be a youth pastor, loves that story. Um, There's a lot of cool stories like that in the Bible that people don't even know about Now, next week, we were supposed to start a series called Frequently Asked Questions where we we take a three-week series and go over the things that people ask us most about. We're We're going to bump that for three weeks because of a new series that we, at the last minute, are throwing together called Villains. So I'm sticking with the superhero theme. So we did we did Wonder Women, we did Supermen. Now we're starting a new series next week called Villains, and I'm really excited about it. Now this series, Frequently Asked Questions, come from you guys. So if you're interested, go to thatsgrace.org slash questions, and we really, and, and it's anonymous. So there'll be a place for you to enter three different questions that you have, so Whatever you're struggling with, whatever questions you have about God, this church, faith, the Bible, uh, your spirituality, I'm not claiming to have all the answers, but the sooner you get them questions in, the more time I have to research and find the answers. But that three-week series is going to be completely driven by the questions you actually have. And so the three most often cited questions are the ones that we'll go over during that series. But like I said, we're bumping that. That's three weeks in the future because we're going into a series on villains, and I can't wait to go over that. This, uh, because there are some incredibly notorious bad guys in the Bible that are, that are, that are not famous. So I'm not going to hit any of like the famous bad guys. Like We're not going to cover Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus. He's an obvious bad guy. We all know that one. I'm going to go for some of the bad guys, men and women, that you've probably never heard of or at least aren't very familiar with. And the way that I came up with this series is the, the way I wanted to finish the hero series was going over the seven sons of Sceva in, in the book of Acts. And and I remember that's just that the, the seven sons of Sceva. And the neat thing, and it was a Father's Day and everything, is that they were known for who their dad was. And I was like, that'd be awesome if, if our kids could be known for who, the, like, as a father, if, if you know, my kids were always like, well, well, yeah, man, th- those are the sons of Sean. Like, that would be a cool thing. Like, I want to be that kind of guy. And then when I actually started doing the research for the sermon, I, I found out that all seven sons, Sons of Sceva were bad guys. So I was like, I can't, they're not heroes, they're bad guys. And their dad was a bad guy too. So that messed up the hero ser- series. And that's where I came up with the idea for the villain series. Now, I don't know if we're going to cover the seven sons of Sceva or not, but they're in Acts chapter 19. They were the kind of guys who wanted to use religion for personal gain. And we've never heard of anybody doing that before ever, have we at all? That's just a 2,000-year-old problem. We're way past that now. But, but anyway, that's, that's kind of how those guys became, uh, became notorious. So we're not covering them. We're actually going to go over a, a guy today, uh, a hero, a superman, who's actually a kid. He's not even a man yet. And the Bible doesn't even give us his name, but he changed the world. Truthfully, this is the only miracle in the entire Bible that is covered in all four of the, the biblical narratives of the life of Jesus. The first four books in the Greek New Testament is Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John. And a lot of them will cover different miracles that Jesus did. But there's only one miracle that Jesus did that is covered by all four of those books. And it would have never happened without this nameless pre adolescent kid. He becomes the hero that God uses, and he's the one that we're looking at today. If you've got your Bible, either in the room or online, go to John chapter six, excuse me, and we'll we'll go over the life of this, this, not the life, we don't know much about the life, but we'll go over the story about this kid and how God used him to make a difference in the world. Um, and, and, and the idea behind this teaching today is, is the gap between where we are and where we need to be. And, 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 and I don't know where you find yourself today. I, I know that there have been times in my life where where we were seemed so hopeless that I felt like giving up. Like, where we were was so bad. And I knew this isn't where I wanted to be. I didn't feel like it was where God wanted me to be. But where we needed to be, where I felt like God wanted me to be, just seemed so far out of reach we felt like giving up. I mean, the, the most dramatic instance of this is when Billy Jane was pregnant with Ryan. So we'd found out that just two weeks ago that we were pregnant, and so we just found out we were pregnant. Um, I just found out I lost my job, and then we found out that we had two more weeks to get out of our apartment because it was a month-to-month uh, lease, is what we were in. That's I mean, it's just what we. I know that's not ideal, but it's what we had. So within a span of two weeks, we found out we were pregnant. I lost my job, and we lost our house, and my wife lost her flipping mind. Now, there have been different times in our life where she had, 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 had felt like she was losing hope, and, and I didn't, and there were times in our life where I felt like I was losing hope, and she didn't. I don't know if you're a fan of the Office series or not, but you might remember when Michael Scott and Pam Halpert went out to go start Michael Scott Paper Company, that, 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 that episode when they start the company, Michael loses it, and Pam is the rock, and then at the end of the episode, Pam lost it, and, and Michael kept it together, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're not a fan of the Office series, you need Jesus, that's a great series. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but I'm just saying that there are periods in our life where, where I feel like, 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 like we're going to be okay and, and she loses it, and I don't know where you're at in life, and, and, and when was the last time you felt like this, and maybe you feel like this now. Maybe your marriage has gotten so far gone, like you know that this isn't the way either one of you intended it to be, but it's so far bad and being in a good spot, it's, it's just so far, the gap between where you are and where that is is so far away that you've lost hope and you've given up fighting for your marriage. Or, or maybe you're dead, I, I don't know. Like for whatever reason, and there's plenty of different reasons why you guys got jammed up. But there are so many bills coming in right now and you have so little money that you don't even pay minimum payments on the credit cards anymore. Like You don't even open up the mail I mean, you've just—it's—it's it's become so overwhelming. You've given up, or maybe you and your relationship with your parents have become so sour, like you haven't talked in years. I say, how's your relationship with your dad? And it's—it's it's bad. It really is, really is bad. Or maybe a mom, or maybe a brother or sister, and you haven't talked in years. And you know this isn't the way it ought to be, but how to fix it, man? Like this is just like seriously, you've given up. Like it's it, this is just the way it's, it's going to be right now, or maybe you've, you're depressed. And I don't know how you found, fell into this funk. And you know that I don't think I've always been this unhappy, but you just can't remember the last time you were. And you just don't know how to get out of it. And like, like what, everything that needs to happen for me to be okay with who I am is just so far out of reach. It's just not going to happen. Like, this is my life now. This, this is it. And it's not like you're hoping to die or anything. I mean, you're not like, you haven't lost it yet. But like if you did die okay i don't know if you've ever been in any of those places but if you've ever been in a spot that you knew was bad or unhealthy and you just didn't know if there was any way you could ever get out then i think you picked the perfect weekend to be here john chapter 6 opens up with a story where what's going on while it might not be as dramatic as your situation The gap between where they were and how they were going to get it solved was so big, there was no human, humanly speaking, there was absolutely no way possible there was going to be a way to fix this. And like I said, it might not be as dramatic as your situation, but I believe that there's some lessons we can learn here that might help you in your situation. So so John chapter 6. And verse 2 starts off this way, a huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he, as he healed the sick. And this makes perfect sense to me. Jesus didn't need a PR company. Jesus didn't do Facebook ads. He didn't do Google AdWords. He didn't do mailers. He didn't, he didn't need to do any of this kind of stuff because once he started healing people of the diseases that they had and the brokenness that was on the inside, word spread. So if you found the solution of some huge problem in your life, you become like contagious. Like you, like it, it bubbles up on. Like you can't, you can't shut up about it. Like if something great, like if you won the lottery, everybody in your life would be sick and tired of you two weeks from now because that's all you're talking about. It's how lucky you are. And truthfully, we all hated you the first day we found out because you got lucky. And not, I'm, just, I'm just saying. But if I found out I could go somewhere else and win the lottery, like I would go there. Like, and, and truthfully, if you've got some kind of disease back in those days before modern medicine and there was somebody who could hit you, heal you, <laughs> somebody could hit you, somebody could, I don't know, hit you. If that makes me better, go ahead, punch. Um, if you found somebody who could heal you and make you better, I mean, that is like hitting the lottery. You know what I mean? Like if you found out you got cancer, would you rather keep cancer and hit the lottery or would you rather be healed from cancer? I mean, you'd rather be healed from cancer. So, I mean, like when Jesus starts healing people, word spreads. He don't need no PR guide. That was PR enough. People came from everywhere to find Jesus. And, and truthfully, this is still the way that we are. Like, I had a hip replacement four weeks ago on Friday. So, if you want to get a hip replacement or a knee replacement, where do you go? Everybody knows. Where do you go? New England Baptist Hospital. That's where you go for a hip replacement. If you got anything wrong with, like, from here up, where do you go? You go to Mass General, Mass Ear. Everybody knows. You're going to have a baby on the South Shore, where do you go? South Shore Hospital. Like, everybody just know, like, if that's the problem, then that's where you go, and everybody just knows that. They don't even have to advertise anymore, because word is spread. If you've ever gotten a hip replacement, you recommend New England Baptist. You just do, because that's the best place to get the hip And that's not a commercial for them. I'm just saying that in the same way that we are, that we spread good news about things that have happened to us, they were doing the same things back then. So it doesn't surprise me at all that huge crowds followed Jesus. That's actually just make, makes sense to me. Go down to the next verse, verse 3. So then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him, and It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So when he first sat on the hill, the huge crowd wasn't around him. So how, how does this make sense that he was healing people? There were people all around him, then he was on a hill by himself. We know from comparing this story of the, of the this is actually known as the feeding of the 5,000, that's how this miracle is known. And, and in reading this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find out that he spent all day long healing people all day. And at some point, obviously, according to John, he got alone. So I don't know what that looked like. So Jesus spends all day long healing everybody. There's nobody left who needs to be healed. Jesus goes off stage. They in the crowd wait for the encore he doesn't come back up for the encore because homeboy went to his trailer for a rest they leave the concert arena metaphorically speaking and go find out where he's at what he'd actually done is he went to a quiet place just to get alone because he'd been working all day long he was exhausted he goes up on the side of the hill to have a rest with his disciples and the people ain't done with him they come find where he's at and they all start to get around him so back to the passage of scripture Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And he was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. And I want to stop right there because this isn't a major point in the teaching today, but I think it's a major point in our lives that we need to get. The reason why in that moment when we found out that Billy Jane was pregnant, I lost my job and we lost our apartment, the reason why in that moment I was able to hold it together is not that I had supreme confidence in my ability to bounce back from difficult times. In that moment, I was able to look at Billy Jane. I said, Billy Jane, did, did God know this was going to happen to us? Yes or no? Yes. Then does he have it taken care of? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Yes. So here's this huge problem. There's 5,000. By by the way, we're going to find out in a minute there's 5,000 people, and that's men only. Who knows how many people there were? And they've been hanging out all day, and nobody has had anything to eat, and they're all starving. And then Jesus puts the problem on Philip's back. Dude, fix this problem. And he starts to freak out. "Ah." And God checked in with him, made him aware of the problem. And when God made him aware of the problem, God already knew how he was going to solve the problem. What I want you to know is while you're freaking out because you got cancer, And the reason why we're freaking out is because we don't know how this is going to work out. The reason why we freak out when we lose our job is because we didn't have another job waiting on us. The reason why we freak out when we get into debt is because we don't have this large savings account ready to pay it off. Like, we freak out on our end, but did God know you were going to get cancer, yes or no? Did God know your husband was going to leave you, yes or no? Did God know your parents were going to get divorced, yes or no? Was he up in heaven freaking out because he was caught off guard, yes or no? No. Then does he have it covered? Yes or no? Then do you trust him? Yes or no? You see what I'm saying? It's like when I was a little kid, I lived in Daytona Beach. Actually, I lived in a town called Holly Hill, which is right outside of Daytona Beach. And so I was born and raised in Florida, and we went through several different hurricanes. But the hurricane that I remember most was Hurricane David. And Hurricane David was ferocious, it was in 19. 19- 80, and I'm dating myself, I know, but it was uh, we were in Holly Hill, and my mom and dad put us, uh, me, Brian, and Misty, they put, they put pillows and um, the sofa cushions around the sides of their walk-in closet, and then put pillows on the floor, and then put us in the closet for about four hours during the hurricane. I don't really remember much of the hurricane, so maybe it didn't really exist. Maybe they just threw us in the closet for four hours, so... <laughs> They could get some peace and quiet. Now that I think back on it, I don't remember the storm at all. I really don't. Maybe my mom and dad are just horrible people. But they had a great... They were sipping wine and leaning back in their chairs and all peace and quiet on a Saturday. So there was actually a hurricane every Saturday that summer, as I remember. Not actually, but it was Hurricane David. I remember when the eye of the hurricane passed over us and Dad came in and opened up the closet and let us out and we went outside and it was sunny. What was really weird about the hurricane is that there was, abs- there was no wind there was no wind at all. It was completely calm and peaceful. Like it was ear, like birds weren't singing. But the sun, like the sun, like you could, there was no clouds in the sky, but you go five, five miles that way, five miles that way, five miles in any direction. Outside as a 10-year-old and homeboy would have died. But right here in the middle of it, I was safe in the middle of all of this carnage. And I feel like it's good for me to know that even though I don't know how this is going to work out, God does. And He's not freaking out because what that tangibly does for me is create an eye in the middle of the hurricane. Right? Like, I know it's going to be okay because God's got this. He was prepared. And while I'm scared to death in this chapter of my story, dang it, this ain't the last chapter of my story and He ain't done right it. Does that make sense? And the fact that this ain't the last chapter helps me catch my breath. And some of you guys, that right there was the lesson you came to learn today. That God knew you would be in this moment right here, and he's prepared a way out. And you're freaking out because you don't know what it is. But dang it, you ain't out of this chapter yet. Just keep flipping pages. All right? Back to the story. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here. He's the superhero. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus goes, all right, I can work with that. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. Men alone were 5,000? Men alone. Men alone. So that means, obviously, there were more than just the men. Otherwise, they would have said there was 5,000 guys there. But he said there's men alone were 5,000. What if there was one woman for every man and one child for every man? But what if there were more than one child for every man? I don't know, 15,000? 20,000? And he's going to tell everybody to sit down. I got this. But, dude, all you got was five barley loaves and two dried up anchovies. All right. I can work with that. Is that all he had? Yeah, that's all he had. Boom, tell him to sit down. Let's eat. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God. Gave thanks to God. You know what I love about this prayer? Is he didn't ask God for anything. He thanked God for what he'd already done. And I think there's a lesson there for me. It wasn't, dear God, here's what you need to do to make this happen. It was, dear God, I'm thankful for what you've already done and what you're going to do. I'm just thankful. Dude, that's a whole different prayer than what homeboy prays in a hurricane. Back at it. Tell everyone to sit down. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to all the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces... And filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself because he wasn't ready. That part didn't make sense to me, so I had to do a little bit of research, and here's what came up this week. Jesus wasn't the first one to feed bread to the children of Israel in the wilderness, who was the first one to feed the children in the wilderness with bread? What was his name? Do you know? Moses. Moses was the first one to feed them bread in the wilderness. Moses is the one who gave the world the Torah. The first the Pentateuch, as, as some of us have been taught to call it, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The law of God, which the Jews refer to as the bread of life. And there are how many different books to the bread of life? There's five. How many loaves of bread were there at the feeding of the 5,000? There were five. Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses himself wrote that when the Messiah showed up, he would be a prophet like me, but greater. Jesus shows up with the children of Israel in the wilderness and takes the five breads of life and does something greater with them than what Moses had done And every Jewish person in the crowd got what you and I didn't catch, that Jesus is the greater prophet than Moses, the the Messiah who would show up in human history to rescue mankind from their sin. And that's why the crowd said, oh, my word, that's him. He's the prophet Moses told us would come. He's our king. And they were going to make him king right then, but that wasn't according to God's timeline. So he sneaked out like a ninja, (laughs) alone by himself. I just wanted to explain that part. But there's this huge gap between what they had and where they needed to be. How are we going to fix this? And I believe for a lot of us, there's this huge gap between where we are and where we need to be, where our marriage is and where our marriage should be, where our relationship with our parents is and where our relationship with our parents should be, where our debt is and where financial health is. There's this huge gap. And what I want you to know is that God is not intimidated by the gap between where you are and where he's calling you to be. You're scared to death by that gap, but he's got it. He ain't intimidated by that. God specializes in taking small things and doing big things with them. God will take small little people with small little acts of trust, and he'll do great acts of faith through people with small amounts of trust. But I don't think this is just true for us individually. I also think that this is true for us corporately as a church family. I know that in the state of Massachusetts, by the end of this year, there'll be 6.8 million people in Massachusetts. I also know from the American Religious Data Archives, the thearda.com, which is the religious information from the United States Census Bureau, that only 3.4% of those who live in Massachusetts claim to affiliate with what we as Christians would refer to as a gospel-centered church. I don't mean a Jesus-centered church. So I guess I'm going to need to explain what I mean when I say the word gospel-centered church because a lot of us have different definitions for that word gospel. Now, the word gospel is actually found in the New Testament. And it is in the English word that was used to translate a Greek word. You probably know that the, the, the New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek in the Old Testament. The Hebrew scriptures were written, written in Hebrew. So you've got the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scriptures, both translated for our benefit in English. And the translators used the word gospel to interpret a theme that's a little bit bigger than one word. And it comes from an old English word, God's spell, gospel, God's spell, the story of God, the story of how God showed up in human history to fix what we had gotten wrong. Now here's what most religions of the world get wrong. Both Catholic and Protestant and other world religions, the one thing they have in common is the belief that God lets good people into heaven. Catholics and Protestants. Other religions just have a different name for God, a different version of good, and a different name for heaven or paradise. But basically, all the world's religions have that in common. God lets good people into heaven. The only problem with that is that the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, is that no one is good, not even one. Well, obviously, God's definition of good is different than mine because I'm good, because I'm not a scumbag like somebody else. And all of us think we're good because we can all point to somebody farther down the totem pole than us. There's dudes on death row who say, well, at least I didn't, right? Like everybody's got somebody farther down on the chart that they're better than. But God's definition of good is not better than. God's definition of good is innocent. Innocent of what? Breaking his laws. What laws? There's at least 10 of them. We know 10 rules. You could be an atheist and you're at least familiar with his top 10 list. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The next six have to do with our relationship with others. The first one is don't let anything be more important to me to you than me God. How many of us have ever made something else more important to us than God? Fantasy football season the homeboy is a huge idolater. I'm just saying, right? We've all made something—money sometimes, my wife sometimes, my kids sometimes, my job sometimes. Uh, seriously, every day I struggle with making God most important in my life. The second commandment is uh, uh, second commandment is that we shouldn't make any statues or pray to anybody but God. But some of us have been raised since our childhood praying to Mary, not even or, or to other saints. I remember praying to my grandmother, not even knowing I was breaking the second rule. How many of you guys have broken that rule? The third one is don't take his name in vain. Don't even raise your hand. I already know you're potty mouth. I've heard you in the lobby. Number four is don't ever skip a day to worship and honor me. How many of us ever skipped a day to worship God? Oh, raise your hands. <laughs> Stinking liars. Now you're breaking number nine. So this, when we stand before God, if his definition of good is innocent, then do we pass that test, yes or no? No one passes that test. So that's the problem. It's not that people don't believe in God. It's that they're trusting in themselves to be good enough. As long as you think you can be good enough to make it to heaven, then your trust isn't in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Your faith, hope, and trust is in your ability to be good. So the problem is that you don't believe. Satan believes in God, bro. He believes in God more than you do. You and I have doubted the existence of God. Do you realize Satan has never doubted his existence? Satan believes in the resurrection of Jesus more than you and me because he saw it to happen. So it ain't that we don't believe. The problem is that we are, our trust is just misplaced. So the story of God, the God spell, the gospel, is that only Jesus is good. And until we get to the place where we transfer our faith, hope, and trust off of our goodness, him, and that his death, burial, and resurrection is the only payment God will accept on our behalf on Judgment Day, we sit separated from God, not because he doesn't love us, but because we didn't trust him, we were trusting us. So 3.4% of the population of this state are connected to a church that preaches God's spell, God's story, the gospel. My problem is I'm sitting on Seaver Street I was a professor at a college, and none of my friends, while they believed in God, were trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the only thing that pays for their sins. How do I fix Page Street? Oh, no. I can't fix Massachusetts. I can't even fix Stoughton. I can't even fix Seaver Street. Did you know that we can identify? We don't know of any gospel-centered church in Whitman. I know of a Spanish one in Walpole. Is there any in Mansfield? Braintree has four gospel-centered churches that have a total weekend attendance of 200. For 35,000 people, 200? Holy cow. As a church family, God doesn't bless us just for us, but how do we fix all of this? This is a huge gap. And I don't think God is intimidated by your gap as an individual or by our gap as a church family. He won't desert his people in their physical need, we find out from this story, and he also won't desert them in their spiritual need. So what I want to do is I want to look at this, this little kid. Why did God choose what happened with this little boy and how he used this little boy's act of faith to take care of 15,000 people? Why did God, what was it about this? So we're going to look at three things. Who the kid was, what the kid did, and what God did because of it. So here's what I, so I'm going to start with the first one, who the kid was. What I know about this kid is that Jesus had this kid planted before the problem was ever known. Because when Jesus first identified the solution, the Bible says, because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew there was a little kid there who had a lunch and he hadn't touched it all day long. He had somebody planted. What you need to know is, God already has the solution planted in your life. Now, I don't know what it is yet, but you just haven't got to that part of the story Now, some of us have already been jammed up at some part of our life, and somebody that God had planted in our life showed up. I remember when I was a kid, I made the basketball team. I was in seventh grade, and I made the basketball team in brown hush puppy suede shoes. How many guys remember hush puppy shoes? Raise your hand. Those of you guys who are my age or older, you know what I'm talking about. Those who are my age or younger, Google it, and you'll find out how in the world did that kid make a basketball team wearing those, because homeboys got game. That's how I did it. That's not true. As a private school, everybody made the team. But anyway... That's actually the first time I ever told you guys that. Uh, But it's true. Everybody makes it. So Sunday night, we're doing family devotions, and we're sitting around the table, and Dad asks, you know, he says, you know, hard to meet him or easy. We get to ask questions. Dad comes up with like a, anyways, the way our family talked about God was really cool. Um, And then I said, so for prayer time, I said, uh, I need basketball shoes for tomorrow. Uh, So you might need basketball shoes. I made the basketball team, and Dad said, when do you need them? And I said, for "For tomorrow, because that's just what kids do. We wait till the last minute. And we didn't have any money. I didn't know this, but my dad hadn't collected a paycheck from the church. He was a pastor of for nine months. The church was, was in crazy debt, and a lot of the people in the church didn't know it, but the bank was going to repossess the property. So dad was taking his check. My mom was cashing it at the grocery store and giving it back in the offering in cash so that nobody would know he was doing this because he didn't want people to get, he didn't want to get credit for it. But I didn't know this. So I need shoes for tomorrow, and everybody goes around the room and we prayed. Dear God, help us to have enough money for Sean to buy shoes tomorrow. That's a scary prayer for a dad to pray in front of his kid. Because what if the money don't come? What does that do to his 10-year-old's his 12 year olds faith? That's risky. The next day my dad gets a check in the mail from somebody he hadn't talked to in years with a check for 20 a note for 25 with a check for $25. So Ron, I know I haven't heard from you forever, but I felt like God wanted me to do this and it's not much. I just hope it's a blessing. My dad picked me up from school at three o'clock because the girls practice from 3 30 to 5. Our practice didn't start till five, and he took me to the mall. And back then you could buy high tops for 25 bucks. But here's what I want you to know. God planted that person on Wednesday and the problem didn't show up until Sunday. Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And what I'm telling you is there's been times in your life where you went through hard times and somebody sent you a note, they made a phone call, they wrote you a check, they called you up or they sent you a text. It's exactly what you needed in that moment. And what I'm telling you right now is you haven't considered the possibility that you might be the plant in somebody else's life. You ever thought about that? God put in your heart, to wrote them a check and you were afraid what they were gonna do with it. And what they do with it is none of your business. God put the idea in your heart to send them a check and you ain't done it yet. You're the plant. You best stand up. You know you should have helped them out and you didn't. There's somebody in your life who offended you and you know they feel bad about it because they've been kissing up to you ever since. And you've been enjoying the way they've been groveling because it satisfies your pride. And they just haven't asked for forgiveness yet because they don't want to bring it up because it's so uncomfortable and painful. And you know they feel bad and God planted you and put it in your heart to forgive them and you just haven't done it yet dang it you're the plant forgive them you're the person God may have put in somebody else's life but it'll never happen unless you step up and offer your sack lunch you got a sack lunch you just ain't given it yet what's a sack lunch who's got now I don't know why this kid did this we don't have we don't even have the kid's name why did he do it I have no idea why was it a kid? Because I think, honestly, adults wouldn't have done it. If there's 20,000 people and I brought a sack lunch, I ain't even taking out of that my backpack, because I know you're going to mug me. <laughs> I will get stabbed by somebody in this crowd. I guess Jesus could feel me after he got stabbed, but I ain't going to bring out my sack lunch. You mean tell me out of 15,000 people, nobody had food? I bet somebody did. There's just only one kid who was willing to give up his. Now, why does a kid do this? I, I, I don't know. My son Ryan, yesterday, Lauren, went to Colorado Springs with my wife's sister, flies out all of the kids when they graduate to spend a long weekend with her and her husband, and so hers was yesterday, and Ryan and I were up till 12.30 on Friday night, finishing the series Office, uh, episode, Series 9, Episode 23, and it, he was like, Dad, there's only one more, let's stay up, so I was like, all right, so it's 12.30, Friday night, we go to bed, we're up like 7 in the morning, and Ryan doesn't wake up until lunch on Saturday, so I didn't even bother waking him up when Lauren left the house, but you know who did wake up? Ryan, we're about to leave the house. Ryan wakes up like a zombie, walks into the kitchen, doesn't say a word. Like, hey, bud, what are you up? Doesn't even answer anything. Just walks over to his sister, hugs her, and says, I love you. Right? Who is this kid? (laughs) And then he turns around walks back upstairs and goes to bed. And I just, I, I love when little kids do crazy, generous things. And that's exactly what this kid did in that moment. We don't even know his name, and it doesn't matter. But throughout all of history and in your life, God has somebody planted. And throughout all of history, God has somebody planted. God knew that somebody needed to fix Israel and Egypt. So he goes to a shepherd. He says, I got a stutter. And God goes, what do you got in your hand? I got a stick. Throw the stick down. Children of Israel being oppressed by the Philistines. A kid who's 14 years old, probably pre-adolescent, has not even been taught to fight. Says somebody needs to do something. And God God didn't even say, it must be me. Well, you ain't been to train. You never even been trained to fight anybody. God says, what you got in your hand? I got a slingshot. Fine, David, I can work with that. What do you got in your hand? He comes to Samson. What do you got? He struggles with alcohol, by the way. So he wasn't even a holy person. He was just a person who was willing to do something. God says, what do you got in your hand? I got a donkey jawbone. Start swinging it. Comes to Shamgar. So what do you got? I got an ox goad. What do you got in your hand? You got something. You got time, you got talent, you got resources, you got opportunities, you got an education, you got a job, you've got friends, you got family, you got something. It's just in your hands, not in His. That's why you're stuck. You got something. If you have the bread of life in your heart and you are willing to be used by God, being a nobody won't prevent God from using you. But be careful that you don't jump to the front of the line too soon. Don't be eager for this. God says those who promote themselves will be abased, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. God knows who you are. He knows your address. He knows where you're at. He knows if you're faithful. You know what you need to be? If you, if you want to be this little boy, if you want to be the Superman, if you want to be the Wonder Woman, you don't know need to be, you need to be faithful with what you got right now. That's what you need to do. You need to be faithful. Because if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. But if you're not faithful with little, why would God give you more to be unfaithful with? Some of us say, if I had more money, I would be generous towards God and others. No, you wouldn't. Because there's people in this room who have millions of dollars, and they're just as selfish as you are. While you're afraid of not having enough, they're afraid of losing what they've already gained. You're both selfish. Just on the, you, you both don't trust God. It's just opposite sides of the same coin. But if you're not faithful now, you won't be faithful later. What you need to do right now in your anonymity on Seaver Street, you need to be faithful with God. See, He knows whether or not you're faithful with your money. He knows whether or not you're faithful with your spouse. He knows whether or not you're faithful with your kids. He knows whether or not you're faithful to your parents. He knows whether or not you're, you're godly at work. He knows. He knows what you do with your checking account. He knows the conversations that you have with your buddies in homeroom. He knows how you talk on the bus to the game. He knows. What you need to do right now to be the superhero of the story that God's trying to li- write, and the lives around us, is to start being faithful right now with the life He gave you. Are you with me? No one thought that this would amount to much, and when a, I hate this, but the little kid is the only one who had the guts to give 100% of his lunch, and then Andrew has the gall to speak bad over it. Yeah, what's that? It's nothing. And it, it was everything he had. That's what it was. See, he was looking at all they didn't have. The little boy was looking at what he did have. And guess who else was looking at what he did have? It was Jesus. And I don't know. There's a possibility that you, God's put something in your heart to do, but there's a little voice whispering in the back of your mind, who do you think you are? You're nothing. You're nothing. You're dirty. You're a jerk. Who do you think you are? You have no right. Some of us know that it's us that God wants to reconcile our family members. Some of us know that it's us that God wants to fix the situation, but we got that voice in the back of our head. Whose voice is that? For some of you, it's your dad's voice. You're an idiot. You're stupid. For some of us, it's a mom. For some of us, it's bad voices. For me, it's not even a parent. I had great parents. But for me, the voice is Jimmy Pelkey from seventh grade. Picking on me? No one likes you. 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 Sorry. We've all got brokenness in our heart. And I know whose voice is behind that whisper keeping you down. It's not your dad. It's not your mom. It's not Jimmy Pelkey. It's Satan. He ain't afraid of your little bed lunch. He ain't afraid of your big lunch. He's just afraid of you giving any of it to God because he knows what God can do if you gave him your whole lunch. So he says, don't do nothing, don't do nothing, don't do nothing, don't do nothing, don't do nothing. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Why? Because if you did what only you could do, God would do what you can't. And that scares the crap out of him. So do it. Don't listen to that voice. It's the enemy whispering. The boy was willing to let go of what he had. Are you? Are you willing to let go? Because most of us as adults, we had five loaves and two fish. We would have taken those loaves and hidden a couple of two just in case this didn't work out for us. Am I right? Yes or no? Yeah, we do that. We hedge our bets because we honestly don't fully trust God. And that's why he's not using us. See, the more you do for God, the more God will let you do for him. And God knows how to take care of selfless people. And he knows who he can trust with more responsibility. He knows who he can trust with more opportunities. He knows who he can trust with more finances. He knows who he can trust with more relationships. He knows who he can trust and who he can't. And the neat thing is, you get to decide which person you're going to be. Next thing I love is that the kid gave all that he had to God. What was once associated with the kid now belongs to Jesus. Your brain, your talent, your money, your influence was yours, but whose is it now? See, I'm afraid that if I use my leverage, my response, my connections for the glory of God, I might lose some of that influence. I'm afraid that if I give some to God that I won't have enough for me. But the story of this little boy reminds me that the more I give to God, the more I have for me and others around have for them. But the more selfish I am, truthfully, over the course of time, the less I have. How many of us struggle with this? How many of us say that we've given our life to God? Hold up. You've given your life to God? Your life to God. You've given your whole life to God. Prove it. Let me talk to a couple of people you work with. Let me talk to your friends who follow you on social media the ones that you don't block on Snapchat. Let me see last month's bank account. You've given your life to God. I call BS. I struggle with that. This is why we get stuck. Because we're keeping our lunch. My life is for me and my glory and my good. And God says, fine, have it your way. Jesus gave thanks to God for what the kid had given. And that blows my mind, that Jesus gave thanks to God for that. It's just two stupid fishes and five loaves. But he wasn't thanking God for just two stupid fishes and five loaves. What he was thanking the Father for was what he was going to do with what he'd been given. Now listen, I'm never going to be a Paul, I'm never going to be a Peter, I'm never going to be a Billy Graham, and I'm okay with that. But dang it, I can be the nameless kid who gives 100% of his lunch to God. I want Jesus, God the Son, to look at God the Father and say, Thank you, Father that Sean gave me all of him. Not because Sean has anything, because Sean's just got two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread. But it's what God can do with Sean if God gives, excuse me, if Sean gives all that he has to God that he's thankful for. C.S. Spurgeon, he's a famous preacher from the 1800s, put it this way, and he compared it to a cask of alcohol. Now, I don't know why he did this, but in his writings, he referred to it as a cask of alcohol, and he was talking about the different sizes of the casks. So you've seen small casks of alcohol, you've seen big ones, and you guys know that there's big gigantic vats of them. What you might not know is that there's eight different names for the eight different sizes in which alcohol comes from, and if you're offended by that, put milk in there, it'll probably work the same. But there's a gallon, there's a barrel, a barrel, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's 31 gallons, and a ton, T-U-N, cask, is 216 gallons or 31, or excuse me, or six barrels. That's what it, sorry about the math. The point is, that he's trying to make is that each of us have different, different types of capacity. Some of us are these gigantic ton cast, and We've got all kinds of, of opportunity and, and leverage and resources to be a blessing to a lot of people. And some of us just have a gallon jug. Some of us are just a barrel. We've just got 31 gallons. That's all we've got. And he says the difference isn't the capacity we have to be a blessing to others. It's where we tap the keg that makes the difference. Because some of us have a huge capacity to be a blessing to others, but we tap the keg way up high. And we say we got the nozzle fully open to God, but we've got the nozzle fully open to God with only this much margin. And there's others of us who are just a little barrel. But we put the tap at the bottom of the barrel, and what he says is God can get more out of a barrel that's tapped at the bottom that's smaller than a bigger one that's tapped at the top. So the question to me isn't, how much capacity do you have for the glory of God and the good of others? The question I have to ask you today is, where is your barrel tapped? And the, the goal of a follower of Jesus is to keep moving that tap lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and lower, and lower in the barrel. Does the metaphor work? Like, Because we need to stop hedging our bets. Either we give 100% of ourselves to God or we ain't giving ourselves to God. We're treating them like a lucky, lucky rabbit's foot. I'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Why? So God will hook me up later on, but I got this covered. I just need some good luck on the side. The last thing is that God multiplied the effort, substance, and impact of the kid. Because when God multiplies what we have, it's always to be dispersed towards other people. And when we stop dispersing towards other people, God's multiplication stops. God kept multiplying the bread and the fish, multiplying the bread and the fish as long as they were handing it out. But once everybody had had enough the multiplication stopped. And some of you guys right now, you're in a place where you need God to multiply and he won't until you do what? Start spreading the bread and the fish. When you stop spreading, he stops multiplying. If you need God to start multiplying opportunities and start using the opportunities you got now, why would God give you more money to mismanage if you ain't being faithful to God with the money you got? Why would God give you more opportunities for influence if you ain't leveraging the influence you've already got? Why would God give you more to be disobedient with. He multiplies when you spread. When you stop, he stops. You have no idea what God has in store for you, and I didn't either. When we moved on to Seaver Street, all I knew was this. I really did love God. I struggled with sin, but I love God. And now my best friends, Glenn and Tiffany and Carlos and Michelle, were not followers of Jesus. That's all I knew as a professor. Dear God in heaven, That's all I had. I loved God, but I I had a passion for my next-door neighbors to know and to follow Jesus. That's all I had. And I knew that for Glenn and Tiffany and for Carlos and Michelle to come to faith in Jesus, I would have to give 100% of my lunch to God, and I did. Having no idea that all of this... I'm sorry. I'm just filled up. I'm blown away. We didn't picture any of this. I just wanted Carlos and Michelle and Glenn and Tiffany to find Jesus. That's all I wanted. But when I gave my lunch to Jesus, he said, I got a whole lot of other awesome stuff planned. And hold up, this clapping isn't for me. It can't be. It's for God because you have no idea the story he wants to write in your life. But you'll never get to that chapter until you give him the rest of the lunch you've been saving for yourself in this chapter. You have no idea. I'll never be famous, and I'm okay with that, but dear God in heaven, help me to tap my keg at the bottom, squeeze every drop of milk out of my whiskey flask. (laughs) Every drop. I don't know what God's got planned for us, but if Grace Church ever gets selfish, God will go, I'm moving my Holy Spirit on because you guys have stopped focusing on people who ain't here. All you care about is getting your own needs met when you are here. I'm done with you. When we stop spreading, God stops blessing. So we will bless every church that gives the gospel that is in need. We're starting a church in Braintree. There's two other churches starting in Braintree, the exact same as us, and we've given both of them thousands of dollars. It's exactly as God would have it. We will do anything we can short of sin to make sure everybody we know, love, and care about gets one chance to know and to follow Jesus. One chance. That little unnamed boy, by giving his basket to Jesus, revealed who Jesus was to 5,000 people, at least. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing in your life. The more talent and ability you give to God, the more talent and ability you'll have, and the more you do for God, the more God will let you do for him also. Young adults, my encouragement to you is to don't wait until you're old to try something courageously outrageous for the glory of God and the good of others. Teenagers, dream big. I went to college with a guy named Jim Capaldo who moved to a new school in Wisconsin when he was a senior in high school. And by the end of his senior year, 31 of his new friends that he had never known before had become followers of Jesus. Don't tell me Jim Capaldo is the only guy that God can use. Jim Capaldo is just the guy who gave his lunch to Jesus and he said, I could use that. Give God your senior year. Give God ninth grade. Give them six. I guess my voice is changing. <laughs> Give them your apartment account. Give them your new job. Give them your education. Give them your career. Give them your influence. You finally worked yourself up to a place where you have respect in your career. Leverage that respect for the glory of God and the good of others. Why do you think God gave you that? Use your resources for his glory and others' good. Can you imagine if our entire church was filled with people who lived like this kid, what kind of a difference God would make? I don't know what you struggle with, and I don't know what your lunch is, I don't know your time, your talent, your treasure, I don't know what you have in your hand, but I know you've got friends, you have family, you have influence, you have money, you have chances, You have your personality, you have your abilities, and all of these things can be done so much more with if you were to give them to God. And the number one reason why we don't is we're afraid we'll lose it if we do. You don't know Jesus. Not like he is. Some of us, you're distant from God and you feel like he doesn't love you, and the truth is you just need to stop running from him. You need to stop acting as though you have to earn his love because his death, burial, and resurrection is proof that he already loves you. You need to stop trusting your own goodness and accept the fact that you're broken and you're flawed and that you need him to fix you because what's most broken in you is not your finances, it's not your loneliness, it's not your health. What's most broken in you is your heart and only he can fix that. Your prayer today is God rescue me from my sin and disobedience towards you and my selfishness towards others and help me to follow you with the rest of my life. If you've already become a devoted follower of Jesus, then your next step is to consider what parts of your lunch you're keeping behind your back because you're afraid to let him have it. Because there's consequences to that. On your communication card, if you flip it over today, I want you to write one of two things. The one of two things that you're going to write is, Lord, I am giving you my bread and fishes. Or you write down, my bread and fishes are mine. There's no third option. But you really get to decide what happens next in your relationship with God. Let's pray.